Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks this day for your word for us. We pray that you would help us to hear something for our lives, something to draw us closer to you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. When you think about the significant changes in your life, I wonder if you ever pause to think about what birthed those changes. That word birth is an, an intentional choice. And I choose that because for some of you, the most significant changes obviously involved having children. For others, a marriage, perhaps even a marriage after divorce or after the death of a spouse. Maybe the significant change was living alone for the first time or the first time in years or living with someone new. Perhaps the change was a move across country or even just across town. Or maybe the change was spending more time in hospital rooms or researching medical terms that were previously completely unknown. The change might be crawling on the ground for the first time in decades as a little one wants only you to play with them. Or change that looks like walking a new dog in the winter or maybe even just letting a dog outside in the winter, or worrying even about what a new puppy might destroy next. Change might be swapping familiar furniture for a hospital bed or recliner brought into the home, or maybe, maybe even parting with possessions and simplifying things. Change that looks like converting a child's bedroom into a guest room or maybe an office into a nursery, change that looks like knocking down a wall or two or four to see the familiar world around you a little differently and, and to live in that familiar space a little differently. We know changes. We know a lot of changes, especially this year, right? Change that looks like wearing a mask when we go out or a change in travel schedules and where time is spent. Change like working from home or not going outside as much or using Zoom more than you ever could have imagined. You see, the changes are all around us. But let's come back to my question. My, my question was whether you ever paused to think about what birthed those changes. How did they come to be? Many of these birthing moments are wonderful. A child born of a loving relationship, a promotion to a new job, maybe resulting in a move, a new love. But even behind many of those wonderful changes, when we trace back through the sequence of events, the road has its twists. There's a country song that, like so many country songs, is a tale of love and loss. But I've never forgotten this one line in this song made famous by the band Rascal Flats. The line is this, God blessed the broken road that led me straight to you. One of the threads I most often hear from people when learning about their lives is the way the broken roads of their lives have birthed a change, have birthed something new that has brought blessings and in some way brought blessing to that broken road. 
I'm not a big fan of the phrase silver linings. I know many people have used this phrase, especially over the last year. And I, I understand why, but I have trouble with it because I think it can discount whatever that circumstance is that we're trying to line with silver. It can discount the brokenness of the broken road. Looking at our changed circumstances with an eye toward the series of events that led to our changed circumstance, it does include both a recognition of the pain and the loss as well as what comes next, that blessing. This can be most difficult though when you're sitting in the midst of pain and loss. And sometimes you need to sit in that pain and loss without looking for the road ahead and without seeing the road ahead. But sometimes we also need to find some hope in the road that lies ahead, the road that might even bring some blessing to our broken world. This morning's gospel lesson that Matt read for us can be a little hard to stomach at times, and it was definitely hard for the disciples to hear and for those who were gathered. Jesus continues to prepare his listeners for his upcoming death, his execution, In fact, at this moment, he says that the time has come. Over and over again, the disciples are confused about why Jesus must die, and they just assume pretend it wasn't going to happen. As we know, these folks left everything to follow Jesus, and the idea of his ministry and his life ending in this way was confusing. It can be confusing for us too, of course. In fact, I think this is part of why Palm Sunday and the church has taken on a bit of a a bit of a, a junior Easter spirit, easing us out of Lent rather than leading us into that final week, the Last Supper and the cross and the tomb. We want to avoid the cross with Christ upon it. In this morning's text, though, the cross and the death of Christ invite us to look a little closer, to slow down and to try and understand more of what was going on. We often talk of the death of Christ and the resurrection as being linked to us personally and related to individual sin. This is a long-held theology that has led to various theories of what we call atonement, the theological language for the concept of answering the question of how humans are reconciled to God or what, or what it meant for us that Jesus died for us. And the theology of atonement and the centuries-old arguments about it, they come from a deep desire to understand this whole idea of God taking human form and the complexities of individual sin. And as I said to someone this week, the concept of atonement is complicated, and it's been debated and theorized about for centuries, so we should give ourselves a little bit of a break when we're overwhelmed by it. So yes, the cross, the life and death of Christ, and the resurrection, they are definitely and intimately connected to our relationship with God. But throughout John's gospel, And specifically in this lesson this morning, we see another side of the cross. We see another side of Jesus and the work that Jesus was seeking to do and God's redemptive work among humanity. 
Jesus tells those who are gathered around him, he says, now is the judgment of this world. And he says, now the ruler of this world will be driven out. This statement seems a little strange at first, until we think more about what Jesus was doing throughout John's gospel. Jesus was standing up against a system or a pattern that was built to go against all that God had instructed humanity to be and do, all that God had designed humanity to be and do. Jesus is standing up to a system of tyranny and oppression and a system that failed ultimately to love. Jesus is both revolutionary and he's an exemplar. He, he lives what he teaches. He walks among the poor and he exhibits love, but he also stands up to those who are bringing harm and he faces the consequences. But what Jesus says, again, is that God is judging the world and the ruler of the world will be driven out. So what is this world and the ruler whom Jesus is saying will be driven out? And ironically, or at least paradoxically, this who or what is this ruler of the world, who or what is this ruler of the world who will be driven out through Christ's death? This is where interpretation of our text gets a little interesting. This word that we have translated in our Bible as world, in Greek, the word is cosmos. It's difficult to translate this word in a way that grasps the concept. Theologian Walter Wink's, uh, Wink suggests the word system as a better word, but even this doesn't fully capture the idea. Another word I've been thinking about might be ordering as in the way things are being done, the systems, the patterns, and the ordering, ordering, the ordering of human living. Essentially, Jesus is saying here that his death, God allowing God's self to experience the most ultimate human experience of loss and pain, that his death will do greater things to upset the course of that part of humanity that has drifted from God the human movement away from the divine image. By choosing to allow the violent death of Jesus, God is claiming power over the very motivations, the ordering, the human patterns that would bring about the death, the violence, the motivations of fear and control and hate, and the motivations that were seeking to destroy the movement of Christ, a movement toward love. Rather than the usual instinct, though, to fight back, the human nature to fight back with force, Jesus rejects conformity with that system, that pattern, that order, and instead allows himself to be visibly and publicly killed. And in doing so, he exposes the weakness and the brokenness of this way of oppression, violence, hate, and fear. It's important to note that Christ's death on the, on the cross did not eradicate or eliminate that cosmos, the ordering of the world that was inclined towards sin, the system wherein people try to be God even. But God's action on the cross showed that in Christ's death, there was another way. 
Jesus says that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. When we see pain in the world, especially pain caused by the sin of the world, we have the option. The option of choosing to follow Christ, the one who stood against the violence of the world, not with violence, but with love the one who allowed himself to die. This week, like many of you, I was outraged by the murder of eight people in Atlanta, six of whom were Asian women. These killings were the most significant recent example of violence against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. The group Stop AAPI Hate has recorded more than 3,795 hate incidents against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic in March of 2020, with women victimized at more than twice the rate of men. If you're having trouble understanding the concept of the cosmos, the, the misordering of human action away from God and God's intention, the cosmos that Jesus is inviting you to stand against, this could not be a clearer example. And we must be asking ourselves the question, if we are going to be following Christ, we must be asking ourselves the difficult questions that we keep returning to. How do we engage the world, the cosmos, the patterns, the systems. How do we engage them like Christ did? How can we see the suffering in the world and expose those things, the cosmos, that cause it? Expose them through education, education of ourselves, our children, and those around us. Expose them by showing love and solidarity for the people who are most impacted. And we do this like Christ did it, by making ourselves vulnerable to the very risks of the systems and allowing the absurdity of hate to expose itself for what it is, which is contrary to God's movement toward love. I was reading this week about an organization called Asian Americans Advancing Justice in Chicago. Advancing justice is scaling up locally led bystander hate incident intervention trainings for community members over the next several weeks. These one hour trainings teach participants about the types of disrespect and dangers that Asians and Asian Americans are experiencing, what to look for and how to safely intervene. This is a very practical example of how we can be a part of following Christ in today's world and how we can stand up to these systemic evils to stand against the disorder of the world. Many of you have been working hard, especially over the past nine months, to learn and grow as we have wrestled with all of the difficulties of systemic racial injustices. And these issues are hard and they're challenging for sure. And they're uncomfortable. They're especially uncomfortable for those of us who want to fix things. 
a friend and mentor wrote this week in a Facebook post. She said, sit with the discomfort. Embrace openness to what you hear and experience, remaining in uncomfortable if you don't know what to do. The Reverend Larissa Kwong Abasia is an Asian American woman, pastor, and former vice moderator of the PCUSA General Assembly. She wrote powerfully this week about the ways that we can be a part of this reordering. I'll share her post to our PCWS Facebook page, along with uh, the link also to Asian Americans Advancing Justice Chicago. And I would invite you to take a moment and look at them both. I'll also link to them in the weekly connection later this week. Friends, these are just a couple of the ways. And, and so many of you have dedicated your lives already to walking alongside Jesus and in confronting the disordered world. I've learned so much from many of you. Part of our Lenten journey is being willing to see the brokenness of the world around us and the brokenness in our individual lives, grains of wheat that have fallen to the earth and died. You've been experiencing brokenness and challenges and heartache in our news and in your own experiences, grains of wheat that have fallen to the earth and died. Many of you are sitting with your own grief or carrying anxieties as you enter new chapters of life, chapters with loved ones who are sick or dying. And all around us, our world continues to groan. Grains of wheat that have fallen to the earth and died. And I'm not asking you to look for silver linings, but I'm inviting you to see a little down the road. Because we follow a God who, from the death of those grains of wheat in the ground, promises a rising. Like those experiences and even the brokenness in your life that has led to significant change. Like the cross of Christ, what looked like evil prevailing. I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It bears much fruit. So look down the road a little. Hold on a little longer. Keep following the one who promises fruit. Hold on a little longer. Look down the road. Jesus is asking for our trust, for us to hold on, to hold on until resurrection. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.